Hey Siri, define crazy. Crazy is an informal term. As an adjective, it means mad, especially as manifested in wild or aggressive behavior. Do you want to hear the next one? No, <laughs> thank you, Siri. Today's episode is about a 47-year-old Ugandan feminist and human rights activist who has been tagged crazy for her distinct methods of activism. Hi, my name is Stella Nyanzi. I'm a Ugandan living in Germany in exile. I trained as an academic anthropologist. I have done politics and I'm also a social justice activist. And I'm a poet, so I'm an activist, academic, artist, agitator. Stella's journey into becoming an agitator started from when she was a child. Right. I think, I think when we were children, my family had to flee from Uganda because of civil war. Our father, who was heading a hospital that was treating the bodies of rebel soldiers, uh, was targeted by dictator Idi Amin. Our house was bombed down and uh, we fled from Uganda and lived as refugees in Nairobi. After the Ugandan Bush War in 1986, Stella and her family returned home. And when we returned, my mother brought us from my father's house because of domestic violence she'd endured for a long time. So we returned first before our father. And he later joined us, perhaps two years thereafter, when he rejoined us in Uganda. My father and mother were living in different houses. Um, and he went on to remarry. He's a polygamous man. And my mother remained uh, faithful and loyal to him. So within the first 10 years of my life, I think I'd experienced all of that. But what sustains um, the, 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 the fondness around all this pain and complication is a resilient mother, her singing, her prayer, she was very prayerful, and, and laughter. Many times we laughed because of jokes that she told, even when she'd left the house suddenly with us because of a beating she'd received from my father. And so I, I think what endures for me is my mother's resilience. Stella is the first of four daughters. Her dad's family wanted her mother to birth sons. And this caused a lot of issues. This idea that a womb that bears only children is a cursed womb, is an unwanted womb in the eyes of the in-laws, made me wonder why it was that my father thought that sons were better than daughters. And so in his desire for me, which was to be a medical doctor, I knew I wasn't going to do the sciences. And then I learned perhaps in my teenage, that it was possible to be a doctor by doing the PhD. And so the doctoral, the desire to study for doctoral um, accomplishment, to get a PhD, stayed with me for a long time because I thought the only way... Stella did get that PhD, but we'll get to that later. She says her journey into academia was partly to get affirmation and admiration from her father, who for the longest time preferred to have sons. Witnessing domestic violence as a child, dealing with early discrimination for being a girl, and surviving a civil war propelled Stella into a kind of activism that she did not see coming. 
Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a storytelling podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us for being women. If you still haven't listened to season one, I highly recommend that you do after this episode. It's available on whatever streaming platform you're listening on right now. In today's episode, we profile popular Ugandan feminist and writer Stella Nyanzi. Quick warning, this episode contains discussions around trauma and abuse. It also contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. To understand Stella's journey into activism, we have to understand how she got into academia. In 1997, she obtained a bachelor's degree in mass communication from the University of Makariri, Uganda. The following year, she made a different career move. But medical anthropology is still very far from mass communication. So why, why did you make that switch? What was the reason? Practical. It was, it was practical. Um, so the, at the time when I graduated in 1990, when did I graduate? 1997, there was huge unemployment, youth underemployment in my country. Although I studied mass communication and literature and the idea was that I would work within journalism, I specialized in the print media industry. There were no jobs in the newspaper industry. A lot of the... Stella got a job as a research associate with the Medical Research Council in Uganda. I applied for the job and I got it. And I think what started as a three-month short contract ended up becoming the entirety of my graduate and doctoral um, sort of apprenticeship. So this medical anthropologist called Robert Poole took me on, he trained me as an anthropologist, he gave me a job, he obtained funding for my Master's of Medical Anthropology degree at the University of London. He took me to the Gambia where I was heading a local anthropology program and later I was able to obtain funding to do my doctoral studies still in medical anthropology and he was my supervisor for my doctoral studies. After getting her doctorate degree in 2008 from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, Stella returns to Uganda. Because I wanted to be an educated elite member of the country contributing towards the development of my country through research. She applied for a job at her alma mater, Makarere University. Eventually, she got called up for a research fellow role. Then, Makarere Institute of Social Research got a new director, Professor Mahmoud Mamdani, who interviewed 11 of us and chose only me out of the 11 to be appointed as a research fellow at Makarere University. My contract stipulated I'd be doing academic research and doing a small measure of administration. One year into Stella's role, the director made a change that she didn't agree with. A year after his appointment, the director decided to introduce a PhD program where he required research fellows at this institute to begin teaching. And his idea was that we would do 50 teaching load, 50% um, research load. Now, according to me, that was a violation of my contract. I have never wanted to be a lecturer teaching students. Stella refused to teach. She went back and forth with him for four years, trying to show the unfairness of giving her a new work schedule that didn't match her contract. He fired her from her office. And that's when things got kind of crazy. I'll tell you more after the break. 
I'm a product designer and developer based in Abuja, and I build websites, mobile apps, you name it. For all my clients, I recommend using Paystack to collect payments, and let me share why. First, integration is completely free. Paystack only charges a small fee per successful payment, so they only make money if you make money. Number two, the actual technical integration is super easy. I'm able to add live payments to a website in minutes. Another reason I recommend Paystack is the high success rates. This reduces the number of frustrated customers reaching out to you. Yet another benefit is that Paystack has a lot of payment options. Customers are able to pay you with bank transfer, Apple Pay, their debit card, and so much more. And for many of my clients, their absolute favorite perk is a free Paystack mobile app that allows them to see payments as they're coming in, in real time. I recommend Paystack to all my clients because it makes receiving payments one less thing to worry about. And if you'd like to see for yourself, start by creating a free account at paystack.com forward slash I like girls. And on one day, he decided to fire me from my office and he told me to leave the office space and sit in the library where I could do my research. And I thought this was unacceptable because part of the terms of my contract stipulated clearly that I would have access to an office as a research person. And I was re- I was leading research projects. I had research data, research equipment, research teams that needed access to my to, to an office space. Stella did not think it was fair that she was asked to leave her office. She had spent four years appealing to the university administration to look into her contract and amend it if they wanted her to be a lecturer. Uh, support my cause even when they said yes Stella you're on the you you make a point your contract actually is as a researcher and Mm -hmm. they said to me however Professor Mamdani is more senior than you he is a guru a professor that's established a record all over the world he has brought so much research capital into the university compared to him what are you you're a junior (laughs) you know she decided to do what she knows how to do best protest the injustice. And I think that my decision to protest was not just a protest against one individual, Mahmoud Mamdani, but against the entire establishment that kept saying things to me like, you're just a woman, you're junior, what money have you brought? The Human Rights Policy and the Employment Act and the Constitution of Uganda protected me as a public servant. None of the individuals and institutions and, and, and communities supposed to protect me offered that. So my protest was really about grabbing the attention and putting the agenda of labor rights of particularly younger women at the university onto the agenda. And I think it was very successful. I think it was successful too. So Stella received the notice to vacate her office on a random Friday in 2016. On the same day, she responded on Twitter that if her office was not open the following Monday, she would publicly take off all her clothes. I I also issued an invitation to the public media and say to them for long, we've been having interviews that are private and I've been writing letters that have gone ignored. But on Monday morning, if my office is locked, I invite specifically the media to come and cover the story because I'm going to undress symbolically, undress myself as a sign of undressing the rot at Miser. 
I don't think anyone took Stella seriously at this point, but she was not playing. So what happened is on over the weekend, I prepared my children. I told them I was going to show my body to the um, to the world. I, you know, I, 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 I showed my sons and my daughter, my, 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 my naked body, you know, wearing panties. Of course, my sons helped me to choose the underwear. They said, don't wear white, wear black, you know, make sure it's, we had a conversation about, should it be cotton? Should it be lacy? etc. etc. And I said to them, look at this body because your friends, your school, you know, mates, your teachers, are going to see this and there'll be a lot of bullying if you're not prepared for this and i say to them the reason i'm doing this is because i have to protect our source of income i work at the university that is how i'm able to pay your tuition fees and feed you and pay rent and pay for the fuel that takes you to school a lot of african societies are conservative so what stella was doing would be considered insane by many people on that day stella walked into the school ready to protest first thing that I did was to lock my, chain myself onto the main library doors and I took some pictures and then I thought, well, the library doors are outside the building. If the police come, it will be very easy to stop my protest. And so I, I asked my driver to take pictures and I posted them on Facebook and I announced that in five minutes I would be undressing because my office door was still locked and I didn't have access to the keys. She had invited journalists to come film her protest, but none of them had showed up yet. And so after the five-minute countdown had gone, I undressed um, for the first time alone. Again, my, my driver, who was still on the premises, took these pictures of my, you know, I was wearing my bra, and then I was, I'd taken off my head cloth, and then I took off my bra, and... I posted these pictures on my timeline. Within about two minutes, the grounds where I was, the, the building was surrounded by cameras and policemen, and the protest took off. Stella was dressed in a red two-piece skirt and blouse with a headgear. As she shouted in protest, she made good on her promise. The effect was so profound that every leader of the university who had ignored me, right from the vice-chancellor to the police, to the deans of, of, of the different colleges that were responsible for my contract, to the director of human resources, they all came running down and their appeal to me was put on your clothes. Uh, when the police came, so I would dress, for example, when the police came, they uh, tried to threaten me and I undressed again right there. And of course, the policemen took off because they believe in the curse of looking at an adult female naked body. So, so to answer your question, I think that if the objective of my nude protest was to attain attention, I did. They all thought she was crazy and dramatic. It was all over the news. Out of curiosity, I asked her why she did that in the presence of cameras. Was that really necessary? In fact, in your own words, I staged the protest before so many cameras. Those very many cameras, 
I think for me are a sign of success because an issue that had mm. been ignored suddenly was discussed by everybody in the nation. Whether they understood, you said some called me dramatic. The dramatic is not as bad as mentally ill. There were feminist leaders who went onto television and argued I was mentally ill. I was cursed. I was a criminal. You know, uh, and, and, and for many, I was ashamed. However, with time, I think I have been exonerated because after my protest, a number of other junior staff who had grievances against this specific individual uh, professor challenged him. We won at the academic tribunals of the university. We sued the university and won in courts. Yes, they won in the courts, but it was a long and harrowing process. The university accused Stella of breaking a professional code by undressing, and an investigative committee was set up. The university oh, punished me. I was suspended immediately. And so the first committee, investigative committee, actually recommended that I be reinstated in my position, I be promoted, and that my terms of contract, if they were to include teaching, should be renegotiated with not just Professor Mahmoud Bamdani, but with the college human resource team. A second committee was organized, and this committee didn't focus on Stella alone, but on all the students and staff who raised grievances with the management of the university. The committee recommended that Stella be suspended for six months and put on half pay. But the university kept extending her suspension and did this for a year and a half. Eventually, she was transferred to the School of Law as a lecturer. I don't have a qualification in the law. The School of Law requires lecturers, not researchers, and so it was a misfit. Um, I, I sued the university, and after three years in court, I won. I asked her if she had space to do her research work while all of this was happening. In terms of having a space within which to write, I relocated my office to my house, right? And in my bedroom, I created an extra, a new office, which was not very convenient for my research team, but I also suspended work with the research team until um, the, 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 the bigger conflict with the university had been resolved. And so a lot of what I continued doing was writing. So my publications record, which is important, you know, it's, it's important for the academy for a person to be publishing at least one to three papers a year. So my academic publishing did not stop because I still had access to all my data. In the time all of the court cases and committees were sitting and investigating Stella, her work as a social justice activist grew. In 2017, she launched Pad for Girls Uganda, a project focused on the menstrual health of schoolgirls in the country. Stella became well-known and took her activism up a notch when she started criticizing the president. Yeah, that did not end well. I'll tell you all about it after the break. I'm 25 years old and I'm an illustrator. I've been painting and illustrating since I was very young. The walls of my room at home are covered with a lot of my work. Three months ago, I got tired of creating art for just myself. So I decided to take things to the next level. I wasn't sure how to publicly display and sell my work. So I asked on Twitter. Someone on my timeline recommended Storefront from Paystack. 
I did my research and tried it out. And with storefront, I was able to sell my first ever painting. Here's how it worked. I created a free account on Paystack. Then I created a new storefront to sell three of my favorite paintings. I added pictures of the painting, selected a beautiful background color, then entered different shipping amounts. Then I pretty much just shared the link to my storefront on Twitter. And I had my first sale within 10 minutes. It was that easy. That was an exciting moment for me. If you like to create a customizable online store to sell your art, product, digital items and more, try Storefront from Paystack. You can start by creating a free account on paystack.com forward slash I like girls. To understand Stella's motivations for picking a fight with Uganda's president, Yoweri Museveni, we have to go back a bit. And so I think that my father's death in 2014, my father was a medical doctor, as I said earlier, he retired at 65, went to the village where he had established a community school and one night he had a heart attack being a doctor he knew what medicine he needed being a doctor he also knew that the pharmacology laws of the country do not allow that particular class of medicine to be kept in people's houses it, it has to be kept in a pharmacy and so he drove he was driven by his brother to the nearest health center level four in our country and unfortunately that medicine was not stocked. He was driven to another hospital and the medicine was out of stock. Meanwhile, being a medical doctor, he could read the signs and symptoms that his body was you know, re revealing. And he said to these people, I'm going to die if I don't get this medicine. So the driver and my stepmother who were in the car with him decided to drive to the National Referral Hospital and as he entered the hospital, he died. So for the first time in my life, then my eyes were opened to the pain and plight and suffering that ordinary poor Ugandans who have to rely on public health services undergo. My father, previous to that, had taken care of our health needs. If ever any of us needed medicine, he would prescribe it. He would actually send us to a particular pharmacy to get that medicine. While grieving the death of her dad in 2014, 40-year-old Stella became aware of the rot in Uganda's public health service. The following year, Stella was thrust into yet another heartbreaking experience. Really my father, and then my mother dies a year later waiting for an ambulance. Immediately a year later, after my oh. father's uh, funeral service, we return home and uh, take my mom. She's very excited. She's um, positive about life. And then we all return to the capital city where her, all meaning her daughters and grandchildren return to the capital city. I call her the following day as we're speaking on the phone. She drops, she falls. And she says to me, her chest is too heavy. She can't lift it up. So I say to her, uh, she says to me, call, call, uh, you know, the girl, the, the, the house help to come and help lift up my chest. The house help tell, I call her and she says she's, tra you know, she's traveled to visit a friend. 
So I call the hospital and say to them, do you have an ambulance? They say to me, oh, we have ambulances, but they have no fuel. Can you get us fuel? So I say to them, I can raise the money for fuel. And they say, oh, you know, meanwhile, I'm calling my mother and talking to her. Oh, we found an ambulance, but there's no fuel. Let me give them fuel. The ambulance did not show up. A neighbor came over to pick Stella's mom. She died just as they were entering the hospital gate. As you can imagine, Stella was devastated and angry at the system for taking her parents away. And so part of my journey into politicization and what people sometimes call radicalization is, again, very much personal. People have said to me, what would it cost you to shut up and stop criticizing Yoweri Museveni? And I say to them, if Museveni can bring back my father, bring back my mother, or in the failure to do this, put medicines in hospitals so other daughters don't have to lose their fathers, give us ambulances so daughters are not grieving for their mothers unnecessarily, then I might stop. But he can't return my parents and he can't provide public health services, so I will not stop criticizing him. A lot of Stella's criticism of the president was done through poetry. She wrote poems against the government and posted them on her Facebook page. Here's the interesting bit. They were often sexual. When I laced it with some of the sexual, you know, metaphors, I, I, I use quite comfortably because my PhD is in anthropology, but the specialization is in sexual reproductive health. And most of my research writings are around sexual reproductive health, sexualities. It's easy for me to use sexual metaphors. But the more I wrote and laced my poems with political critique as well as sexual metaphors, the more popular these poems were, the, the wider they were consumed and shared even in tabloids and newspapers. So I have kind of perfected the art of writing poetry that is critical of a failing regime and utilizes um, language that many Ugandans enjoy to read even when they criticize it for being too graphic. In 2017, one of those graphic poems got her in trouble. Here's our writer and editor, Sam, reading an excerpt from the poem. When Butogs fart, are we surprised? That is what Butogs do. They shake, jiggle, shit and fart. Museveni is just another pair of Butogs. Ugandans should be shocked that we allow these Butogs to continue leading our country. As you can imagine, President Museveni did not take kindly to the poem. Stella was arrested and charged with cyber harassment. She stayed 33 days in the country's maximum security Luzira women's prison. Well, I think that the, 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 metaphor, the metaphor of a pair of buttocks is one of the sweetest, nicest, politest metaphors I have written with about Museveni. In many ways, I'm disappointed that it was this particular post on face, Facebook that received the sort of publicity it did because I have written much more critically and much more beautiful, much more derogatory, much more insulting, much more graphic language about different failings of dictator Yuri Museveni. Stella's arrest came with widespread condemnation from all over the world. At the time, Human Rights Watch described it as the most flagrant attack on free expression in many years and the eventual use of Uganda's justice system to silence a government critic. Ever since 2017, when I was arrested for that post with the pair of buttocks metaphor, I have 
my eyes have been opened to the reality of how repressive Yori Museveni's government is. But at the time of writing about, uh, you know, Yori Museveni at a public function claiming he is not a servant of the people, he is a servant of his family and himself and his grandchildren, I was horrified and I thought any critique with a mind should be able to criticize this. So I was not expecting to be arrested or punished. I thought, in fact, everybody who has half a head and a voice should be criticizing these forms of public idiocies spoken by the head of state. So I was I was surprised yeah. to, to be arrested. So I was naive at that time, but that naivety and innocence have been lost with my experience since then. Stella became even more critical of Museveni after her release. For context, the Ugandan president is what many people would describe as a dictator. He has been in power since 1986 and often silences opposition parties and activists like Stella. Museveni was a freedom fighter. He was among the military officers who toppled Idi Amin's repressive government. Stella says she used to be a fan of Museveni until she realized that, in many ways, he was not different from the past leaders he rebelled against. After the break, I'll tell you about the many times Stella clashed with President Museveni. So I run a cleaning business where the people in my neighborhood can easily book a cleaning for their homes. I like that I can help busy mothers take care of cleaning so they can focus on everything else. Last Monday evening, I was talking with one of my neighbors, Simi, and I was telling her how hard it was for me to keep track of payments. I have a big blue notebook where I track my customers and how much they owe. It's really stressful. So Simi just asked me, Bisi, do you know Paystack? She told me that with Paystack, I can instantly send an invoice to my customers online, and my customers can pay with card, USSD, or bank transfer. I'm not too familiar with all these tech things, but Simi showed me where to set up my account, and it was so easy. So since then, I've been using Paystack invoices. I send electronic reminders to my customers about payments, and I get an alert on the app when they pay me, all from my mobile phone. No more big blue book. You too can create simple invoices using Paystack. Start by opening a free account on paystack.com forward slash I like girls. Welcome back. In 2008, Stella wrote another poem. This time, it was about the president's late mother. Again, here's our editor Sam reading an excerpt from it. I wish the infectious dirty brown discharge flooding Esoteri's loose pussy had drowned you to death. Drowned you as vilely as you have sunk and murdered the dreams and aspirations of millions of youths who languish in the deep sea of massive unemployment and underemployment in Uganda. The president was infuriated by this poem. Stella was arrested and charged with cyber harassment and offensive communication. She pleaded not guilty and rejected bail. My refusal to get bail also forced the court, the different courts in which I was, to prosecute me, forced the nation, the, the state prosecutors to bring evidence against me if there was any, exposed the judicial system. And so I think for me that mine is one of the few political cases in Uganda that have actually been completed, you know, tried, prosecuted, 
convicted, sentenced, etc. And had I not insisted on staying in prison, had I applied for bail and made it very easy for the regime, I would still have a court case, another court case under my name. But my refusal to get bail um, pushed the state to act on this specific instance of criminalization. That's not all. She made plans to work with other prisoners. In prison, I was teaching. I was feeding you know, elderly outcasts who were imprisoned and called witch, witches simply because they were in the opposition or because they were accused of, you know, crimes they never committed simply because somebody wanted to take their land. I was actually working hard in prison, exposing the injustices that were happening. Stella stayed in prison till 2020. There were many charges against her from other poems she had written, so she had a lot of other pending cases that needed to be knocked out. Prison was hard. Just the failed conditions, you know, there's no water, it's overcrowded, the diseases that prisoners suffer, the punishment that their innocent children undergo, you know, underage children are imprisoned with their mothers, etc., etc., the only way to expose it is to stay in prison. And I think that there are a number of small but meaningful incremental changes that happened within Luzira Women Prison, the time I was there, the bullying by prison wardresses, the unhygienic situation. We even I was even able to get the prison to... Uh, we, we had lice and bedbugs and ticks on our bodies, on our uniforms. It didn't matter how often we bathed because of the congestion. I, I always had lice from the women sleeping next to me. But I was able to get the prison authorities, after shaming them so many times, I was able to get them to start um, disinfecting. The entire prison, all the wards would be disinfected during my time. And I think if I hadn't been in prison, that some of these small but meaningful changes would not have taken place. While in prison, Stella had a miscarriage. I think what is important is that my story, which was denied by prison wardresses as I was losing blood, I was losing my child, I begged them for mercy. They were shouting and screaming when I showed them the blood on my shorts. I remember a woman called Leia, a prison wardress, telling me that cannot be blood. That is ketchup, tomato ketchup. And I said to her, but look, is this blood coming from you? And another prison wardress shouted, no, this, this woman is postmenopausal. She's in her 40s. Who can love a woman like you? You can't, your womb is too old to bear children. And part of the, part of my pain is that these are women <laughs> of reproductive age. Yeah. When I passed out, they ordered prisoners to carry my bleeding body from the ward which I had been assigned to, to a neighboring ward, thereby disassociating me from people that I knew. When I gained consciousness, I was surrounded by strangers and my baby was between my legs. My shorts were, my prison shorts were full of blood. My prison blanket was full of blood. The women who came to my aid were prisoners. The women who, for example, the woman who gave me a change of panties was a prisoner. She gave me her old panty. The woman who gave me a sanitary pad was another prisoner. 
The old woman who shared with me the hot tea from her flask was another prisoner. And so prisoners in jail for crimes or trapped up charges were kinder to me than prison wardresses whose money, our money, our taxpayers' money pays their salaries. They did not show me any mercy, yet I'm supposed to be in safe custody in their hands. So I think part of, part of, part of my struggle around refusing to get bail was also around what do you do when you have lost your child? Stella was heartbroken by all of it. She was denied visitation and they required medical care. As a way to cope with the pain, she turned to one of her favorite things to do. But one way I dealt with the trauma was to write. And so my book of poetry, which, you know, was published, <laughs> written and published when I was in prison, is, is one of the outlets was to write poems. And some of the poetry that has some of the poems that have received the widest public um, engagement have been poems that write about the miscarriage in prison, the beatings in prison. Um, and, and, so, and so I think one sure way for me was to write. Now, a number of the poems that I wrote, a number of my scribblings in prison were confiscated and burnt. And so the vast majority of things that I I wrote never made the, the public light. Her collection of poems titled No Roses From My Mouth, Poems From Prison, was published in 2020. If you're wondering how the poems got public while she was in prison, she smuggled them out through her friends. You will receive it through either visitors or when I'm in court, I will leave it with particular court, um, court officials and you can get it from them. I'll give some poetry to my lawyer as well. And so the smuggling of poetry began. I was not aware they were in the process of reaching out to potential funders to support the publishing of a book written, a book of poems written in prison. I was delighted when um, a few days towards my release on acquittal, I received a visit from one of the publishers to discuss the cover design of the poetry and to discuss the cover you know the title of, of the poems because it seemed that we had actually managed to pull off this experiment of whether it was possible for a prisoner whose voice was denied to write prisons in poem poems in prison in january 2020 stella won the oxfam pem international award for freedom of expression it's this annual award given to writers and journalists around the world in recognition of their contribution to freedom of expression despite the danger to their own lives in february 2020 after enduring many hardships in prison for 18 months stella was released she went right back to organizing and protesting against the government in the same year she was imprisoned on five separate occasions for crimes connected to her political activism Yeah, that's Stella getting dragged into a van by the Ugandan police during one of her protests in 2020. I asked her how her family was able to cope with her frequent absence and arrests. 
Right. So I have a daughter who's aged 17 today and twin sons who are aged 14. I have raised them as a single mother for the last 14 years. I have a lover, a young man, um, who stood with me through the thick and thin of being in prison. Um, he always showed up, even when I had the miscarriage, and I thought that perhaps he would lose interest. But also when I was convicted and you know sentenced to 18 months, which meant there was going to be an elongation of my time away from him, he chose to stay with me and support me, and for that I'm thankful. My children have been traumatized by the constant harassment of the police in Uganda, the police which chooses to serve the dictatorship and cannot distinguish between an individual adult actor and her children. There were occasions when my children's car that was transporting them to and from school was tracked and followed down by what we suspect to be police officers. There are times when um, my children's school was actually visited by men in uniform asking for my children. Oh, wow. Thankfully, we carry separate surnames. I use Stella Nyanzi. Nyanzi was my father's name. My children use their family name, which is their father's name, and it is different to mine. Stella had thoughtful neighbors who volunteered to take care of the kids and checked in on them whenever she was away. She told me about one Auntie Pamela who used to drop off food for the kids and make sure that they had enough fuel to get to school. And I think as a mother, my biggest regret is the impact of my political activism, my social justice activism on my children. And I think part of my desire to leave Uganda has been influenced particularly by the need to create a safe space for my children. Um, the government in power in Uganda, if they cannot silence an opposition member directly by you know, arresting and detaining us, it is not beyond them to then try to silence us through our children. And so removing my children from a space that has become unsafe for them simply because of the political activism that I do and the cri criticism I write without seizing against the regime in power exposes my children to potential danger. We'll get to how Stella was able to remove her children from Uganda after the break. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin. You already know me, host and producer of I Like Girls. I'm interrupting this episode to tell you about the podcast newsletter. I'd like you to join the I Like Girls community by subscribing to our newsletter. Every Tuesday at 12pm, through the newsletter, we'll send out behind-the-scenes information on topics, guests, and recordings of all our episodes. <laughs> that means as a subscriber, you have first-hand information about our episodes that others don't have access to. And that's not all. You'll be among the first to know when a new episode drops. You will also be notified early about any of our activities, like the availability of merch, secret podcast events, and bonus episodes. So subscribe to our newsletter by clicking the link in the episode notes as you listen. It takes less than 30 seconds to subscribe, and I promise we won't spam you. Okay, let's get back to the show.
In 2021, before Stella made the final decision to relocate her family, she tried something new. So I contested for Kampala, that's a capital city, woman member of parliament. Um, after I was released from prison in February of 2020, I was found to have um, failing kidneys and I was hospitalized twice, first in a general hospital and later I was referred to a specialized kidney hospital. Now, shortly after that, we had the COVID breakout in the world and Uganda had a COVID lockdown. During the lockdown, I realized that if I went silent and stopped criticizing the regime, it was very easy to be disappeared. I would be arrested from my house, abducted from my house. A number of abductions were happening in the country, abductions of members of the opposition. And I thought if I kept silent and kept away from the public um, spaces of, of ongoing politics, it would be very easy to disappear me. A number of Stella's visitors while she was in prison were from opposition political parties. They showed up to pay their respects and give her the idea to run for office. My political campaign was mainly supported by individuals and institutions that believed in my ideals. And part of the excitement for me, although I did not make it into parliament, I celebrate the opportunity to have directly confronted, challenged, criticized the failures, human rights violations, and excesses of Yoweri Museveni's regime. Contesting was not easy for Stella. She said she experienced intimidation from the government and her campaign manager was abducted. Outside the parliamentary election, which she lost, Uganda's national elections were also marred with violence as President Yoweri Museveni was declared winner over his main opponent, Bobby Wine. According to Stella, a week after the vote at the polls, her partner was kidnapped and tortured. This led her to flee to Kenya with her kids. And so leaving Uganda initially last year in 2021, I went to Kenya. When the possibilities of relocation became impossible for me and my children, I went back to Uganda and reapplied for asylum through alternative projects or programs that are available all over the world. And I think I want to appreciate the German PEN uh, program for having their Writers in Exile program, which allows writers who are persecuted in their countries to leave the country of persecution and relocate to Germany for a season. And I think for me, this opportunity was wonderful because then I could live with my children, leave Uganda, set up a, a new home that is safe, and ensures freedom and security for me and my children in Germany. Yeah, she's now in Germany with her three children. She hopes her partner is able to join her soon. Stella has been through a lot. There's so much that we haven't covered in this episode. I asked her, was it worth it? Right, so I'm very proud to be a Ugandan. In spite of living in Uganda during the oppression of dictator Yoweri Museveni, Uganda is my home. My father and mother are buried in the brown earth of Uganda. It is my hope that one day I will return, not just 
to be buried, but to contribute towards the development of my country. I hope that I will return to the university where I staged that nude protest and that my return will not be as a shamed, disrespectable woman, but rather as an academic who has been able to introduce interesting, fresh ways of debating about particular um, feminist, radical, political contestation ideas and concepts. So it's been worth it for me. I wouldn't have mm -hmm. a book of published poems and a second book. I have a second book. I'm working on a third book. If I hadn't been persecuted in Uganda, I wouldn't have, perhaps I wouldn't even be on this podcast if Uganda had cuddled and loved and caressed and embraced me in all the ways we want to be embraced as citizens of countries. And so my name has been lifted <laughs> on both local, national, international, regional platforms because of the conditions in Uganda that have pushed me to contest and challenge, perhaps in ways that are not ordinary, but to contest and challenge all the same. I have no regrets, no regrets at all. After everything, she's still holding on tight to her convictions and fighting injustice in whatever form it presents itself. It is not to say that the road has been easy. Of course, there have been challenges, there have been losses, there's been grief. But I think all of these have been lessons to learn, even where there were deep losses. I think what one takes away from that is what were the lessons to be learned. And so I'm on a learning journey. Um, I long for home, I desire for home, but I don't want to be at home when it is unsafe. <laughs> I will go back to Uganda when Uganda is safe. Meanwhile, in exile in Germany, I plan to continue speaking out and speaking up both for the people back home, but also for the new and exciting um, situations I will encounter as an exilee. There are many African refugees in uh, Germany, in Europe, and their experiences are also very eye-opening. Um, and so who knows, maybe the next trajectory of my life is going to be around political and social justice issues for people in exile. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. I Like Girls is produced by 27 Productions. If you want to get in touch, visit 27productions.co and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at I Like Girls Pod. Also, please rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you're listening on right now. Rating us helps other people discover the podcast just like you. This episode is produced and written by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Ruth Olurambi is our editor. And our theme music is by Banks with a double G. The rest of the music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Paystack for sponsoring this episode. I'll catch you on the next one.